The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is episode 67 for the week of May 13th. Alex, what have you been up to the last week? Well, I'll tell you what, Rob, it was not my day job. Yeah, it's been a, what, what did we call it? We called it a Denver Se- Security Mardi Gras. Security Mardi Gras. And, uh, and it really, it's just just fi- finished up here with B-Sides finishing up on Saturday. Uh, of course, the big kickoff, though, was RMISC, or RMISC, as we call it, in the haiku. <laughs> yes, Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Let's say it yeah, a third way. Absolutely. Um, it, great. Uh, we had a, a great time there. 1,313 people. That'll be easy to remember. I'll yes, 1,313, double unlucky. Um, yeah. What an amazing conference. It though. was really, really great. Yeah, so I started on Tuesday with that full day of, of trainings. Obviously, you and I spent Thursday afternoon together working in the, the CISO track. Yeah, so we had the, the CISO leadership meeting. Mm-hmm. Great discussions happened in there. Um, I heard great feedback from people on the uh, the cryptocurrency um, session that we had on the, uh, auditing for cybersecurity on Tuesday, lots of good feedback on that. And of course on Tuesday night, yeah. we had our, our first ever community night. Yeah. So we had the, the job fair, um, and our, the organizations from around town had uh, their chance to come and, and talk to people. Uh, I thought that went really well. I heard from two different candidates who said they were connected with job opportunities that they thought was a perfect fit and that they are going to be interviewing for in any time now. Yeah. And I heard feedback from the people that were there um, trying to hire people that they had a a great turnout, lots of different levels of people. Uh, Overall, that was great. Yeah. I'd say the the idea of doing a community night on the pre-conference night, um, was a wild success. I, I don't know. We, I was, as a committee, we haven't talked about 2019 yet, but I'd say the leader in the clubhouse is to try and do something like that again. Yeah. We can, we can only make it, make it better, right? right? It, it was good, but it'll, it'll be even better next year. Yeah. So looking at, at day two or the first official co- kickoff of the conference, you know, we started on, on Wednesday with Lane Hensley, given that keynote really about how we as professionals could go through the conference ready for change and go through our careers thinking about the perspectives of others and being ready to, to influence, experience change. Rob, are you still crossing and uncrossing your arms? Yeah. yeah. One, one of the fun things, if you weren't out of the conference, he, he had you, you know, cross your arms over your chest and look to see which arms on top and look to your neighbors and you'll see, you know, half the people have their left arm yep. on top and half have the right on top and, and then just try to do it the other way. And the immediately immediate instinct is, Oh my goodness, this is so weird. It's so weird to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, part of the message was, you know, embrace being uncomfortable, <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, open your mind, think about different ways to do things. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was a really good keynote. Yeah. So great sessions on that day. Uh, obviously you and I also did the, uh, the Colorado CISO panel on, on Wednesday morning, uh, standing room only in the, in the room. Uh, yeah. You, you moderated, I was on the panel with Gail Corey, Sam Massiello, uh, Rich Slipe and Joe McComb. And we had a good time. Great session. Also on Wednesday, uh, we had our, our second annual kids event. Mm. Uh, so we had a, a number of different uh, schools that, that brought kids in there. Um, I think we had a 90 or so kids. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Coming but in to learn about different aspects of cybersecurity. Look like the age is really as young as maybe 12 years old. Yeah. Up to, up to end of high, maybe 18 years old. Yeah. And I think my highlight of that part was we, we had a panel in that session but with um, women in security 
and uh, the Cyber Girls team, uh, Cyber Patriots team from Highlands Ranch High School who went to the, the national finals. And it, it was really great to see how, how excited those, uh, those girls were to come and be part of the conference and, and to be speakers and participate and, and learn and, and contribute. And get, get badges with their names on get, them. Get and, badges and, and ribbons. ribbons. Ribbons on the badges. It, it was super exciting yeah, for them. That's, that's, that's really cool. Uh, so another cool thing that we did for the first time this year is the the lunch on Wednesday was a uh, tabled family style lunch rather than you know a buffet or even a plated lunch, and, and the idea was there was a sign on every table that said the discussion topic at this table is going to be. Um, you know, maybe Dev, DevOps security or or cloud security or, or GDPR or Marvel versus DC exactly. Comics or Xbox versus PlayStation. It was kind of a fun way to to meet new people. It was, and I think you know there's two good things about that. One, you didn't have to go and wait in the buffet line; you just went straight in, sat down at your seat. But the second was you had to interact with other people or else you weren't getting any food. <laughs> so you had to make sure that you, you had good table yeah. manners so you could ask people for, you know, what was on the other side of the table. Yeah. And it sparked a lot of discussions, which was yeah, good. That was fun too. Uh, of course, we had our closing keynote that night, which was de- delivered by the, the chief marketing officer from Optiv. Initially, we had had Dan Burns, the, the founder and CEO, scheduled to deliver the keynote. Unfortunately, he was called away last minute uh, by his board, but I thought his CMO stepped in and, and was a pretty good presenter. Yeah, it turned out good. I, I heard some good feedback on that session. And then, uh, of course, Thursday, another great day, uh, kicked off by Daniel Meisler, uh, talking about artificial intelligence and, you know, kind of what the future holds for that. Yeah, he did a, a book signing afterwards with his book is, is the Internet of Things, I think it was called. Or I can't remember the name of the book off the top of my head. Internet of, of Everything? Something like that. And anyway, he gave a book signing afterwards, and we, and we had, you know, a great line of folks who got to meet him and, and get a book uh, personalized for them. It was pretty cool. Yep. Great sessions on that day as well. And then of course um, our closing keynote, again, we did comedy this year, Phil Palisol, uh, some good comedy, lots of fun. Yeah. And then, uh, so, so I would tell so one of his bits was, you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm not super handsome. Like, like some of those other guys and I can't go around wearing uh, shoes with no socks. Uh, right. And I was, and I was at a party tonight and there was a guy at the party who is a handsome guy wearing shoes with no socks. And I, and I, I had a little chuckle. Thanks, uh, thanks how was his foot gravy? Um, uh, that's, that's gross. <laughs> uh, so one of the other things I, that I really appreciated this year was that in addition to the great tracks and great participation, we also had a lot of the kind of surrounding events, just a lot of vendors who were kind of, kind of like you'd see at RSA conference, putting on events, you know, rooftop parties and, uh, you, know, you know, bars where they had private rooms, yeah. a lot of stuff going on um, that you could do uh, right after the conference each night. Yeah. Keep, it's great to see the conference going more than just what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you've hit the big time when there's vendors doing happy hours and parties and other stuff like that. So yeah. That was great. Uh, I think one other thing I wanted to mention um, you know, we, one of the, the tracks that we had continuously throughout the conference was the, the living security escape room. You know, it's a sort of escape room yep. plus security awareness. Um, I didn't have a chance to do it, but I know you did. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It, you know, it's, it's like an escape room, like any other one you've probably done, except it's, it's much more, 
uh, cerebral versus physical because they, they don't have a, a, a physical room like you'd have other places that, you know, mounted in place and you, they can reset easily. They had to do a lot more cerebral type stuff, uh, much more technology focused, interesting stuff. I'd say for those who folks who'd never done one before, they loved it. For those who've done it before, you know, it might've been a little bit easier than most of the escape rooms I've done other places, but really a fun time and a good way to get to meet. In my case, I got to meet, you know, eight strangers, folks who I'd never got to interact with before. So it was fun. Yeah, and um, I did hear from them that they had an interest in coming back next year, so we we may have escape, an escape room again. Awesome. So wild success, right? It seems like every year we have this conversation and we say that you know it's the best RMIC ever, and and I think clearly this was the best RMIC ever. Yeah, I had lots and lots of great feedback. Usually, you know, I hear, oh, this thing was great, this thing was not so great, or yeah. you know, oh, you could improve here. Almost universally, I, I had great feedback this year, so wonderful to hear that. So you know, of course. We now have started thinking about the 2019 conference and, and what do we, who do we bring in? So if anyone out there is listening and has feedback on who you want to hear as a keynote speaker, uh, we are especially interested in finding some female keynote speakers to help us. Uh, if you're interested in, in getting involved, this is the time to reach out. You can send a note to info at colorado-security.com and, and we'll love to loop you in. For sure. All right. Enough for the, uh, the RMISC, uh, the pregame here. Let's, uh, let's get into the actual news. Yeah. So before we get into the actual news, number one, this is the 20th anniversary of the uh, season f- or the series finale for Seinfeld. Uh, again, Rob, like most of the things we talk about here, this just makes me feel old. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> makes me feel old as well. And I think your your quote summed it up well. The worst the worst uh, episode of the whole series. Yeah, right? you know, it, it was a pretty bad episode. Um, I'd have to go back and watch all of them to see if it was the worst, but it left you with, a, with in my opinion, a bad, bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. You know, I was, I was a Seinfeld fan and... It was not the best episode. I'm still a pretty big Seinfeld fan. I, I was just recently listening to a podcast called 99% Invisible. They're talking about the laugh track. And yeah. you, may, you may have noticed that the laugh track has pretty much died off from being used on television. There's very few shows that use it. Roseanne as the reboot uses it, but the, almost nothing else does. Uh, but Seinfeld was one of the very last successful shows to use it. And, um, That's pretty cool. Yeah, of course. Uh, reminder, we do have a Slack channel. That's uh, that's up right now. We're well over 400 folks involved there. It's a great place for you to engage with the community, get to know people, reach out, uh, get connected. Uh, review us on iTunes. Um, we, we did get some feedback this week that <laughs> it may be impossible to review us on Google Play. Um, if you figure out a way, then go ahead and do that. If not, then uh, don't do it. Uh, we've been we've been telling you for the last year, please review us on Google Play. And apparently that's not possible. Uh, oh, well. So uh, we also have a mailing list. If you want to keep up to date on what we're doing, get the show notes in the mail, all that kind of stuff, then sign up for the mailing list as well. A um, couple of shout outs for uh, our Patreon uh, patrons. We had two new people sign up this week. Uh, thank you to Rock Lambros. Rock, the uh, the former RMISC conference chair, signed up this week. Appreciate that support. Also, John Von Rader uh, with Alchemy Security. Thank you for your support as well. Yeah, and we do appreciate anyone who wants to sign up. We are using any funds we get there to improve the show and to really feed back to the community. This is always going to be a nonprofit endeavor for Alex and I. So anything you want to give, we would love it. We can increase the quality of the audio, get some shirts out to the community. We don't know exactly, but uh, but we'd love your support. Uh, we also run a CISO dinner series. So if you are interested in attending that, if you're a security leader and want to come hang out with us, uh, we've got a great group, um, but we're always looking for more people. 
Um, and we also love to have sponsors for those dinners so that we're not paying for it ourselves. Yeah. And you can go to, go onto the website, colorado-security.com. There is a security uh, leader dinner link in there. Uh, Denver startup week voting is up right now. So you can go check vote for the the session. There's a link in our show notes. Um, we love to have you vote so we can have, you know, I'd be moderating a talk with the founders of a bunch of local cybersecurity startups. So ProtectWise, Red Canary, Swimlane, Overwatch ID, and uh, CyberGRX. Yes, yep, CyberGRX. Yep. So please go vote and get in there. You know, we're, we're doing well on votes, but we, we're not assured of anything until we get further along. And we want to make a quick uh, clarification. It's not quite a correction. Um, but last week we had a story about CenturyLink cutting, um, I think around a thousand jobs. Yeah. Um, and uh, we heard from, uh, Mike Benjamin of CenturyLink and said, Hey, just to let you know, there are no security jobs that are going away. Yeah. So, uh, while they have lost some jobs across the organization, they, they recognize the importance of security and how valuable those resources are. Security jobs, um, they look good right now. Look safe. I think that they actually have many more openings. So if you want to work for CenturyLink, I know that they have some jobs that are out there. All right. So moving along, Colorado Springs unemployment rate declines in March to a nine month low. Yeah. So it was back in 2017. I want to say in April, uh, somewhere in there, uh, they had their low and now they're, I believe back down to 3.2%. Yeah. 3.2%. And, and some other interesting stats from this show that the lowest spot for unemployment in Colorado is actually Fort Collins, which is down at 2.3%. And what's actually more amazing to me than that is that the highest spot in Colorado is only 4.2%. And that's Pueblo. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So of course, the, across the whole state, we're at 3%. That is just awesome. Unless you're trying to hire somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um Next, uh, Colorado made Chief Executive Magazine's top 10 for best states for business. Yeah, so this is we are one of the better places to, to run a company. Um, I think we were number eight on the list. Uh, looking at number one on the list was Texas, followed by Florida, North Carolina, and South Carolina are tied for third. And what, what do you think last place is, Alex? Uh, you might have read the article. I have read the article. So I'm going to yeah. go with California. California for the win. Now, of yeah. course, California. Lots of regulation in California. Because they are, what are they, like the third or fourth biggest economy in the world, you know, if they were separated into their own. They they have a lot of taxation, a lot of regulations make it a little bit more difficult to do business there. Whereas, you know, Texas is number one because there's no laws there, no rules. Um, so Colorado was eighth. Uh, specifically, we were 27th for taxation. Uh, 10th for workplace quality and number one for living environment. Of course. That's why everyone wants to be here. Great living environment. All right. Moving along. We do have a story here that uh, was actually kind of national news. You may remember uh, late last year that we had some threats that went to the the spouses of servicemen, uh, really threatening their lives, threatening to kill the spouses, um, not the servicemen, but the, the spouses at home sending Facebook messages and they claimed to be sent by ISIS. Yeah, exactly. And, and recently it was discovered that those threats were actually sent by Russia. Um, and, and why, why does this have anything to do with us? Well, of all those people who received it, five of them, five of those wives were actually Colorado women. Yeah. I think this is, um, a fairly, uh, big cybersecurity topic, right? So it's, uh, I don't know if I'll call it cyber war, but it's, you know, cyber yeah. something. 
disruption, um, disruption, uh, false flag yeah. endeavor. It, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And of course it falls into our world to figure out solutions to this stuff. Right. Exactly. So, you know, all the stuff that's out there, um, whether it's on Facebook or, or wherever else of Russian trolls and everything else, um, just really interesting how the whole, um, national stage is playing out in regards to this. Yeah. Our, our next story here, Colorado uh, politicians approve and then reject a bill to distinguish blockchain tokens from securities. This is a little confusing to me. So, so what's confusing to me is how somehow it passed the Senate with a yes vote and then they revote. I don't know why, why do you, you pass and then you do a second vote, but when it went through the second time, one vote flipped and it, it went to a no. Yeah, I, I don't get it exactly either, but my guess is that um, it had to be. Well, I'm not even going to speculate on that part of it. But you know, some of the meat in here, the 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 bill was trying to to differentiate between uh, what we think of as currencies, which are essentially or uh, actually technically securities um, under the law, and other things. Uh, they gave an example of uh, of Crypto Kitties, mm-hmm. which is a sort of a game based on the blockchain where you, you own things, the, these cats um, that are part of the CryptoKitties blockchain. So I think it was an attempt to separate think, things related to um, blockchain that are not trying to make money and other things that are trying to make right. money. So, so you don't want to have to regulate the crypto kitties as a security. And that was with the purpose of the law, right? Just to remove that requirement to regulate the kitties. But, but now I think they're all kind of lumped together. Is that, is that what we're saying? Exactly. I think one of the things that was pointed out, uh, the attorney general was against this bill, um, partially because it was pretty vague. And so I think that there probably would have been some ambiguity over which of these things actually should be treated as securities and which things shouldn't. Right. It, it, I think all this goes to show it's a really immature area of technology. The, the politicians certainly haven't figured it out yet. The technologists probably haven't figured it out yet either, right? So we have a long way to go before it's really settled. Yeah, and we made sure to have this story in here this week because Rob loves blockchain so much. Yeah, I, I, we can't go a week without talking about blockchain around here at Colorado Equal Security. Uh, next, uh, Ballard Spar interviewed two Colorado information security leaders. Yeah, it's it's fantastic to know that Ballard Spar, a local, well, a legal, an international legal firm with a strong local presence, went and found what I'd call the best two Colorado security leaders to talk I w- to. I would agree that it was also the best two Colorado security leaders, and those two were were us. Yeah. So, so you guys can take a look at the link in the show notes. We're not going to go through it right now. However, if you listen to the show in a week or two. You'll get to hear all the audio from this interview. So they, they kind of summarize a small subset of the conversation into a blog post. We're going to turn the entire thing into a podcast here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, next, there was a survey done by ProtectWise and uh, the survey company ESG about millennials and their interest in cybersecurity careers. So. Yeah. The headline here is that 9% of millennials are interested in cybersecurity careers. You missed a word, Alex. The headline says only 9%. Oh, only. Sorry. <laughs> so so Sorry. this is one thing that Alex and I, were before the recording, we're kind of shaking our head about. Uh, only 9% of millennials want to do cybersecurity. Well, we don't need 9% of them to do it. We need somewhere in like the, the 2 or 3% to get into security before we'll be pretty happy. Yeah. Um, there are a couple other things here too, right? They're security or... Uh, uh, they're talking about millennials. Millennials are of the age, I think, 22 to 37 today. The way they define this survey. 
Uh, well, th- that is that is the definition of a millennial. Is th- that's the the uh, the age group is twenty two to to thirty seven. So they're a generation, and that generation right now is twenty two to thirty seven. Okay. Um, and so from my perspective, um, it, it is not surprising to me that a thirty seven year old would not be interested in a cybersecurity career because. They probably already have a career, right? They're, they're 37. Uh, so there, there was a couple of things I pulled out of this. We actually have two links in the show notes, one from a Denver Post article that covered the survey and one that goes to the actual survey at ProtectWise. A couple of things I pulled out, though, um, the number one most attractive career in technology, uh, it's, it's video game development. 33% of people were interested in that. Yeah. Who doesn't like video games? And what we really need is a third of our people creating video games. Yes. Yeah, that's that's kind of absurd. One other thing I pulled out that I thought was very interesting was that, uh, very surprisingly as well, young females found security more exciting than males. 57% uh, versus 60% uh, women to men were more interested. Nice. I, yeah. I, I like it. That's kind of shocking, right? That is great. Um, I think the other thing here is that... Um, you know, they're they're talking to people about whether they are going to be interested in a cybersecurity career, mm-hmm. and you know, again, one of the things that we're discussing is, for the most part, you know, cybersecurity shouldn't be the career you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. You should be thinking about doing something, you know, maybe relating to technology or programming or IT, and then you should think about doing that securely right. as opposed to security being a separate subject. Yeah, I'd rather have you go become just the best person in the world at pick your technology and then say, and now I'm going to go help secure that technology better than we do it today. Right? That would be a much better way to look at it than saying, I'm going to be a security guy and I'm going to try and know all the technologies. We've got to figure out where you focus. There's a couple of things that, that I think reiterate your point from the, the survey on the, on the ProtectWise side. They said that 69% had never taken a school, a class in school that focused on security, but I would hope that many of their classes focused on security as a subset, right? And they don't, they don't get into that kind of granularity. And then they also said that 65% um, had never even offered a course on security. That's another interesting fact. Yeah. And, and again, I might counter with that second part where I'm not sure that you need a class in security. You need a, a um, you need topics in the classes that you take that relate to security and we talked a couple of weeks ago about the intern jobs that I had um, available. We had, were looking for two interns this summer. Yeah. Well, I had over 70 people apply for those two intern jobs. Yeah. Um, and some of the folks that I talked to, you know, they're in school and they gave great examples of in their classes that they are taking today, that they're being taught security fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel like maybe this, this survey from uh, ProtectWise is still a little too far ahead of the curve. You know, it. I think maybe millennials is not the generation that they should have been pulling. They should have been pulling the whatever the next generation is after that, whatever we're calling yeah. that. All right. So, so moving along, our final story for this week. Uh, you actually found this. It's not even a link to a story. It's just a, a link to an SEC filing. Red Canary filed a Form D for over six million dollars of new funding. Yeah, and um, it sounds like they are just sort of finishing up their their Series A. Uh, with a little bit more funding here, uh, getting to to build out the team a little more. Yeah, so I sent a note to Brian Bear. You know, you had him on the show last week, I think it was. Um, so I sent him a note saying, "Hey, we're we're going 
going on the air with us, you want to make a comment, and, and he sure did. Uh, he, he he let us know that this would be his opportunity to do more as an organization without you know while maintaining the same high quality product. And that's kind of a paraphrase of his point. They're going to be able to accelerate both product and sales with this new funding. He also asked me since we're talking about them to make another pitch. They're trying to hire engineers and SREs who who want to run with a lot of data and really help uh, work you know, security in a more focused SOC environment. And of course, SRE being site reliability engineer. Thank you, sir. Um, I also, you know, got a little shiver there for a second, Rob, because, you know, you said that you reached out for to Brian Bear for essentially for a quote. Yeah. It almost sounded like you were a journalist there. No, I'm no, I'm no journalist because I, because I totally just paraphrased him and, and didn't even worry about it a little bit. Hi, Brian. All right, moving along. We have a Slack message of the week. Slack message of the week. Slack message of the week. All right, so uh, this is going to go to Jericho, Brian Martin. He brought into the Slack message a, a story about a false positive that impacted a self-driving Uber and actually ended up killing a pedestrian. This w- this might have caught, sparked the most interesting debate slash conversation of the week on the Slack channel. Yeah, I agree. It w- there was um, discussion on both sides of the issue. Very friendly. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody thinking about uh, about these issues and what might be good, what what might be bad. Great, yeah. great discussion. Yeah. So I, I think at the root of it, you know, self-driving cars will dramatically reduce the number of auto fatalities. That's a positive. On the other side, hey, there's a, a bug in a piece of software that killed someone, right? How, how, do, you, how do you balance those two things? I think that's an interesting question. It is. Um, and one we're going to be answering for a while here. So thanks, thanks again to to Andre Gaeta, who is our sponsor for the Slack message of the week. Uh, Brian will get the opportunity to pick something from the Colorado Equals Security Store, and hopefully he'll be uh, sporting that on the roads soon. Nice. So let's move on to events. Um, as you know, we have our event calendar on on our website. So go to Colorado-Security.com and check that out. All right. So on the 15th, we have the Colorado Secure, excuse me, the Cloud Security Alliance May chapter meeting. That's on the 15th. On the 15th and the 16th, ISSA Colorado Springs has their May meetings. Also on the 16th, OWASP Denver has their May meeting. That's at Dave and Buster on Colorado. On the 16th, DENSEC has their monthly meetup. On the 17th, ISE Squared has their May chapter meeting. And I think that's happening at the Secure Set Academy down by uh, Coors Field. On the 19th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their mini seminar. On the 22nd, there is a, uh, the GDPR meetup is doing their GDPR in effect Trimble, a test case. So talking about what's happening at Trimble. Nice. Is Clay talking there? I assume Clay is going to be talking, yeah. Um, on the, also on the 22nd, uh, SecureSet is doing a career conversations. Um, you probably left this, left this one for me because it's a hard name to pronounce. <laughs> Kelly uh, Garrido. Uh, from Skylark Digital. On the 23rd, there's another GDPR focus talk. Of course, it makes sense because we're just a few days before GDPR goes live on the 25th of May. But on the 23rd, there's a talk called the GDPR and data privacy in the US. And then finally, on the 24th, uh, SecureSet is doing one of their Capture the Flag events. So go check that out. All right, let's go ahead and jump over to jobs to, to top the list. This should be no surprise to anyone. Ping Identity is hiring a senior security analyst. We need someone who is a badass uh, working with security operations, security controls, knows how technology works, understands how Linux and networking systems work, and really wants to help us enhance our security operations. 
Also at Ping Identity, we're hiring a site reliability engineer who is focused on security operations. So two pretty similar focuses. The, first, the security analyst is going to be reporting into my team doing uh, day in, day out security work on the SRE team. This person actually reports to SRE, but does the security project work. So it just kind of depends on where your focus is. Nice. Uh, next, Cognizant is looking for a senior manager in corporate security for um, application security architecture. Awesome. SP Global is hiring a director of security architecture. Uh, Centura Health is looking for a security architect. 3D Systems is hiring a security engineer senior. So that one is my favorite job of the week. Do you know what 3D Systems is? I can only assume that they make 3D printers. They do. Um, among other things, the founder of the company was the person that invented 3D printing. Get out of here. I will not. <laughs> uh, next, uh, the Department of Veteran Affairs is looking for an IT specialist in InfoSec. BT, I assume this is British Telecom, is hiring a regional security sales specialist. Yeah, so if you want to sell security stuff for BT, that sounds good. Uh, Raymond James Financial is looking for a cyber threat analyst. And if you are tired of having your hands on technology, Logarithm has the job for you. They're looking for a training coordinator. And finally, GuidePoint is looking for a VSOC cyber threat hunter. So this is actually a sort of a SOC position where you can work from home. That you might have just got bingo right there. Bingo. To, to close the, uh, close the uh, I did not the say cloud out. AI, blockchain. But we or, said all those things earlier. You, did, might, have just you yes. might have just got it for yeah. the podcast, right? Podcast ends when we finally get bingo. All right. We do have a feature interview coming up here momentarily. We have Chris Merritt and Brian Concanon, who are co-founders for Vector8. Alex, who are these guys? Yeah. So um, these guys have a lot of experience in, uh, in threat hunting and incident response. Um, Brian actually was in the FBI for a while. Uh, I spoke to them a little while back and uh, had a great conversation talking about their company, Vector8. It's essentially a threat hunting uh, a platform, uh, software, and they, they also do training. Uh, really great conversation. Awesome. Looking forward to hearing it. And we'll see you guys this week on Slack. And if not, we'll see you next week on the podcast. Thanks, Rob. See ya. Hey, this is James Carter, CISO at Logarithm. This is Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. This is Alex Wood with Colorado Equals Security, and I am here today with Chris Merritt and Brian Concanon of Vector8. Welcome, guys. Thanks for taking a little time to talk today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, so... Uh, before we get started here, um, I'm sure everyone is interested to hear what Vector8 is and what you guys do, um, but why don't you take a minute and introduce yourselves, uh, how you started information security, how you got to where you are today, uh, and any interesting stuff along the way. I don't yeah. know who wants to yeah. start. Yeah. yeah, I'm Brian Kincannon. Um, I, I don't know if there's like a standard way to get into security. Mine's a little bit unique. Um, kind of a software developer turned FBI agent turned software developer again. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, I, doing software development, you know, I, I obviously was very technical and then realized I wanted something more action-oriented, um, and uh, so I joined the FBI. FBI is a little more action-oriented than software development. Yeah, yeah, it is, and uh, it was a big change of pace for me, but um, did counterterrorism for a little bit in Detroit and then got into a cyber squad and uh, kind of got into cybersecurity that way. Nice. So. And so from there, did you come directly to uh, so after 
after eight years in the Bureau, I kind of got sick of bureaucracy, and there was awesome things about the Bureau. Um, loved working there. Um, realized I wanted to kind of focus more on the tech stuff, uh, so found CrowdStrike and, uh, and, and left the Bureau and joined CrowdStrike. So. Nice. Yeah. And you're almost a doctor somewhere in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was one of the things I might have done in my in my early twenties was focusing on maybe going to medical school. So nice. Yeah, yeah. good so, stuff. Yeah. Chris. Yeah, um, I got my start right after college. I I went to the Air Force and I was active duty for eight years and I was a uh, kind of an IT guy. I think they called it COM at the time. And by the time I left, they, they were calling it cyber operator. Um, it was really the same thing. Uh, yeah. But I, I landed in a security role there for the first time. It was at the Air Force CERT in San Antonio. And it kind of just, I was just, um, it's kind of dropped in and overwhelmed by just seeing security operations and incident response at scale, vulnerability assessment and compliance and everything under the sun, reverse engineering. And just kind of blown away by it all and just and, and overwhelmed. And I started to realize that there's just, there's so much work that's get done in that area. And I somehow had, the background to, to help out with computer engineering and, and other skills and stuff like that. So I was in the Air Force for another couple of years and I left and went to GE, General Electric, for their aviation and, and um, energy division. And I had the task of doing intrusion detection for a third of GE with one and a half contractors. <laughs> and so I, I, all the ideas I was building up at the AFSERT on, you know, how to not do things inefficiently and how to do things more efficiently, I, I tried to use there made some progress, eventually left, went to CrowdStrike. Um, and Brian and I actually started their their uh, Falcon Overwatch team. That's their hunting service team. We started from scratch and, uh, and, and grew it for over four years until we left. But it was uh, easily the most rewarding experience in, in my career so far. And we started Vector 8 a year and a half ago. Using a lot of the ideals we learned when, over you know, the, the many years that we were doing security and kind of chose Vector 8 to be that spot where we carry out some of our philosophies on on technology and humans and how they should be interacting, that kind of stuff. Nice. So did you guys met at CrowdStrike. Yep. Mm-hmm. Was that here in Colorado, or did you come out to Colorado? No, actually, I was, fact? I was living in Michigan at the time. Yeah, and I was in Indianapolis. So and so Chris actually hired me. That, he was he was my manager coming out of the bureau. Oh, okay. Um, and then we kind of switched roles a little bit, and I took over, uh, or started a development team to support the analysts on the hunting team. So um, kind of became peers a little bit there yeah. and, and just kind of built the, the two teams together. So um, Nice. Yeah, and then we both sort of separately decided to move to Colorado. Um, both of our families kind of always had the interest of moving west. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to stay in Indianapolis forever, and, and I was kind of enticed by the outdoors, outdoorsy stuff out here. And uh, working from home with CrowdStrike made that an easy choice. So, so you guys, yeah. uh, you came here before. Yep. Uh, still with CrowdStrike, came yep. out here. Right. We both were still with it okay. yep. for just a few months, really. Yeah, I think it's like six, six months, months. Right. Six months or so. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I kind of felt like things had run their course at CrowdStrike. You know, like Chris said, it was for both of us. It was a very rewarding time for us. We got to build a team from scratch, and that team is still going strong today. So, kind of got to leave on good terms and and come try our own thing here at Vector Eight. So cool. Yeah, and so uh, you mentioned Falcon and uh, the hunting piece mm-hmm. around CrowdStrike. Um, I think that leads us into to what you guys are, are right. trying to do here at Vector Eight, right? So. Yeah. Um, maybe a, a quick intro into Vector 8 and what you guys are, are trying to do. Yeah. So philosophically, we, um, uh, this doesn't answer your question whatsoever. <laughs> philosophically, uh, it, when we first started the company, um, Brian came up with this awesome tagline that really summed up our philosophy, and that is people enabling technology 
enabling people. And the reason why we, we kind of feel so compelled by that is because we feel that in our industry and probably a lot of others, there's an overemphasis on automation in certain spots and there's an overemphasis on, on uh, human resources in other areas. And we feel like people move from one spectrum to the other or one end of the spectrum to the other. And where we, we were able to uh, have uh, an experience at CrowdStrike where we can actually strategically use one and the other together, like purposefully. So let tech do the things that tech does best, let humans do the things they, they do best. And to answer your question directly with Vector8, it's um, for the first year we were selling a threat hunting service and then we realized, you know what, let's help other people do what we're doing. And so now the platform we built over a year ago, we're, we're trying to, we're productizing it now to help others use our methodology and philosophies to do hunting the same way we did. Nice. Anything? Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, and like Chris mentioned, you know, like for me, especially being a software developer, I, I just enjoy enabling people, right? And I think I think technology is really cool and I love I love automation because I hate repetitive tasks. But but in the end, like Chris said, our focus is on, on the humans. And, we, and we, when you give humans really awesome technology to use, they can do amazing things, especially when they're defending against human adversaries on the other side, you know, and so, so that's kind of just our focus is how can we, how can we build awesome technology that kind of gets out of people's way, but, but it does all the automation of the things that, that are repetitive and let the humans just be really good at what, what people are good at. And so, um, so yeah, I sometimes call myself chief enabler just cause that's kind of my mission. It's just enabling, enabling smart people to like get the tech out of their way so that, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, like we still are all about machine learning and all the cool high tech stuff too, but we also want to still put that focus on people. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that's awesome. So, uh, I guess stepping back a little bit from that, um, I'm sure most people have an, an idea of what they would say threat hunting is. So uh, maybe if you guys want to to give your definition of what that is, since uh, since you're building a platform yeah. to help enable that. Right. We we have a we have a class on threat hunting, so we'll have to charge you for the yeah. <laughs> Chris to tell you. So. We'll prorate this answer. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to make it lengthy. <laughs> um, so that's a. It's a good question because it's become everything and at the same point, uh, nothing specific. So I do have a def definition for it. Um, I think what most people mean by hunting is they take an indicator of compromise um, and they look back in time for it. They look retrospectively across their, their log data or something like that. Or they might scan their network looking for an IOC they learned just now against old data. I think that's what most people mean by hunting. Um, you can mean other things by it too. I think there are various machine learning alg algorithms that are trying to discover new artifacts that I would call hunting as well. And there's the, obviously another common form is like DFIR practices just done more proactively instead of reactively. So my definition of hunting has always been, our definition has, has been anything that you do towards detection that's outside of your passive monitoring apparatus. So your typical network IDS or automated solution going to a SIM and operated by SOC analysts I'd call that your passive monitoring, right. data flow, that kind of thing. Um, I feel like anyone who's, who wants to do some sort of mechanic, mechanical thing outside of that, they call that hunting. So our definition is really um, hunting is the discovery of malicious artifacts, malicious activity, or new detection methods that you can't account for in passive monitoring. And then, um, Brian, with your, to your point about automation, yeah. That is the goal to take those techniques and put them back into the the passive piece. Yeah. So yep. you know you, you yep. find this stuff, say, oh hey, here's here's something cool and unique. I have this passive detection capability. Right. Let me put it in there so I don't have to go hunt for it again. That's exactly. Right. Yep. There's a lot of things you'll find yourself doing when you're hunting manually that you're like, okay, I've kind of discovered like maybe a behavior I'm looking for in an endpoint, 
that has been giving me good results when I've hunted for it manually. Well, I don't want to keep doing that. I just want something to automate that and then let me know. And I'm going to look for new techniques of hunting that I can use. So again, like the humans kind of doing the, the cutting edge, looking for new behaviors, you know, and, and, and the adversaries are always changing, right? So you kind of have to stay on top of your game, but then anything you've done that you want to repeat, that's where you want to automate it. So, and that's, and that's really the platform we're building. So. Nice. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned also that you guys do training around this too. Mm-hmm. So is that sort of the, the first step in your, in the methodology is getting the, the people so that you can get them to the tool to help enable the people? Yeah, yeah, really it is. I think we have a three-day training that we do here. We like to do it here in Denver. Sometimes we travel for it, but it's really um, it's a methodology-focused threat hunting course, but at the same point, it's endpoint-focused too, on, on purpose. And the reason why is we've realized with, with endpoint process data, you're able to articulate with a lot of granularity what an attacker is actually doing. You can actually describe a TTP, tactic, technique, or procedure, and so we kind of teach that way of looking at um, attackers' activities as well as our thoughts on hunting. And those combined is really what the three-day course is about. Gotcha. Um, and then it, you guys are also, uh, you, you mentioned trying to, to productize that and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So you're uh, in the process now of, of building out the, the tool set that you guys would um, sort of use individually now into a platform for people to use for this sort of stuff? Is that Right. Right, yeah. We actually... Uh, it's officially released, more well, or less. I mean, it's a, yeah, the engine that sort of does, like, it's a real-time event processing engine, and, and we've been using that for a year now, so that, that's, you know, that's something that we've, we've used in our training, we've used in consulting things, and, and but now we're, we're trying to, like you said, productize it more, put a front end on it, and so we are, we're doing some beta testing with some trusted partners on the actual UI for that, and kind of, like, usability, and, and but like the overall concept of it, we've been using for quite a while now, and, and it is it is generally available to for people to use. It's just a matter like everyone's going to use it in slightly different capacities because of how they integrate with their current infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Chris, did you want to describe kind of what it is? Yeah, or? it really so so Sysmon, Microsoft Sysmon. Yep. Um, that's uh, System Internals, Mark Rosinovich. Uh, that's their call it your EDR sensor. It's a free it's a free Microsoft EDR sensor. Um, so we. We love what it does. It's free. It's always <laughs> nice. It's nice. And then we know how to use the data. We've been able to, like, we built expertise over the past five years on how to properly use that kind of data. So what we, what we want to do is help people operationalize a tool like that. We feel we feel very strongly you can use Sysmon in particular and find the worst attackers on your network. And, um, and we want to help people do that. So our tool largely tries to operationalize Sysmon. But you can use it. Um, to do your own amount of hunting on any commercial EDR, or I mean, you can send really any data type data type into it. But we've designed it around endpoint data. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah your typical company that's going to try to operationalize Sysmon is going to probably just do Splunk or an Elk stack and just like push the data there. And there's just so much plumbing that has to be done that everybody's going to have to kind of repeat that same thing. Like if you're not going to buy something like a CrowdStrike or you know or something that where all the plumbing's done for you and all the detection's done for you, but um, so yeah, I think a lot of people are interested in Sysmon, but it's it, it's a lot of work to operationalize it. So that's kind of where we want to help, like fill that gap, like you know, just install Sysmon and then send the events to our cloud, and then you can write a whole bunch of plays into playbooks that will will every single event will run through every one of those plays, and you'll get automated you know triggers like hunting type triggers that you can look at, and um, you can manipulate the events as they're going through. You can even then store them in Splunk or Elasticsearch at the end if you want. 
Um, that way you can kind of manually hunt as well. So it kind of augments that, that process um, right kind of in the middle before it gets to like a Splunk um, where you would just be kind of stuck with like saved searches or something that run periodically. This will do it all in real time, maybe your, your searches. So Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I've heard from a lot of people is that, um, you know, they, they, they would love to do, um, you know, more hunting activities, mm-hmm. but, you know, they feel like they don't necessarily have the overhead um, the extra manpower to, yep. to do stuff like that. They're, they're caught up more in that, um, the passive operational pieces, right? And the, mm-hmm. the amount of stuff that they're getting from that um, is more than enough for right. them to, right. to keep them busy. Yeah. Um, do you guys see, uh, you know, particular uh, industries or sized companies or, you know, anything like that where, uh, where, thun- where hunting is more prevalent or where you, you know, who do you think it makes the sense, most sense to do it with, uh, that kind of thing? Yeah. I think the larger enterprises, like the more funded, more mature security teams, um, those who feel like they've kind of mastered the passive monitoring area, from what we've seen, they tend to be the ones who want to, to have a DIY hunting shop, right? They want to roll their own, do whatever they need to do to kind of, uh, instead of buying something off the shelf. What we're starting to see is that there are MSSPs who are becoming interested in upping their game. Um, and, and honestly, right now, that's been a bit of our, our target clientele is helping MSSPs kind of up their game, provide them with, you know, kind of a basic package of, hey, here's a rich data point, here's how to look at it, and here's all the stuff that you can find, and they can operationalize it. So, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. No, I mean, just maturity, obviously, is a piece of it, right? Like, if, you're, if the rest of your security um, department is not mature at all, we're not going to recommend you just start hunting, but you're mm. not doing anything else, right? You, like you, it's something that augments what you're already doing, right. and you need to at least kind of have it down, the passive stuff, and being able to, to manage it and automate it as much as possible. So, so yeah, it is harder to get into like those smaller, less mature companies, but, but that's all, we're trying to kind of push that envelope a little bit, and yeah. that's why we're trying to like make a platform where like you just install something, and we'll even give you some of our playbooks that we know have very high fidelity triggers for advanced attackers, like the behavior that you're gonna see them do. Um, that, again, it's not gonna like hunt for you, like you can't fully automate it, but like we can give we can give it to people where they could have a person that has a few hours a week that could maybe do a little bit of hunting. Um, and so maybe get it into some smaller companies with smaller budgets for hunting, yeah. so. Um, yeah, so you guys mentioned the playbooks a couple times too. Um, maybe if you could jump into that a little bit more, what that looks like, is this, um, again, is that, you know, bundling some TTPs together, or is this, um, you know, sort of step A, B, C, things that you're looking for? What, what kind of uh, stuff do you look at in terms of playbooks and yeah. know, in terms of um, doing the hunting? Yeah, I mean, a play, in essence, is just, um, it's just logic described in English. Um, so if an event comes in and it's a process-create event, meaning like a process just started, and the, you know, the path and the executable is this, and the command line contains this, then fire an action. So it's just logic and then actions that are fired. The action could be save the event, it could be tag the event with like an alert you know, indication, it could be send an email, put something in Slack. So again, it's kind of like, a little bit like orchestration in that sense, um, but on the raw data. Uh, and a lot of times we'll, we'll write plays that are looking for certain behaviors that we know that attackers are using. Uh, and then what they'll do is just tag that event with an alert, and then the event will keep going through the pipeline, end up in an Elasticsearch cluster or something, uh, in, a, in an alert dashboard. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways you can use it, and that's that's where I said you know we kind of have our way, and we have our plays and our playbook um, that specifically is looking for targeted attacks for the most part. We're not trying to find everything, um, 
But Chris, I'll let you kind of fill in the gaps there. Yeah, I mean, the different kinds of playbooks we have are, there's obvious, there's the patterns, they're your detection or hunting or alert patterns. Those are the ones that have the high fidelity. We have correlators, so we can correlate some events against events that occur later on. Um, so another playbook might be preprocessors, like, okay, I've got Sysmon event coming into my platform. I also have carbon black events. Let me normalize it so I only have to write one pattern later on that applies to either one of those. And we have other things like uh, classifiers. Uh, classifier might say, every time you see command.exe, PowerShell, PowerShell ISE, classify it as shell. So later on, I can write a pattern that says, you know, this sort of browser launched a shell. And then you, you're able to have a little bit more abstract um, patterns in that way. Right. Yeah. And br bring it down a level so you don't have to constantly make sure you're capturing everything. Exactly. And you're not having a regex show up 107 right. times in your plays. And a lot of people right. do that kind, of, that kind of stuff in index time with Splunk. You know, they'll use Splunk and then they'll have, um, what are they, like extracted fields and yeah. other things that happen where, you know, you may want to do a regex on the command line to pull out something. And, and um, whereas what, the way we do it is we do it in real time. So like events are kind of messy when they come out of Windows, right? Like you have, you have some fields in there that have a lot of extra data that you don't need and you're paying a lot of money to store that yep. somewhere. And so we just have a play that says remove these fields because we don't need them and we don't want to store them. You know, so again, so it's like we get the like normalization. We get the events how we want them. We do all the different um, like hunting things we would do manually. We do them automatically with these plays. And then what comes out the other end is like you know a nice looking event that it's already tagged with whatever you need and and you can still store it and hunt and hunt on it later. But you also can trigger something to happen to alert you that's going yeah. to happen in real time. So yeah, you're you're getting Windows event logs and it's. You know, the beginning of each one, it says it's, it's an XML format right. and the version yeah. number. Okay, yeah. well, now that I know that, I can just get rid of it. Well, and then there's, a, there's a field called message that has the entire event repeated as a string. So, right. okay, we don't, need, <laughs> we don't need everything twice. Let's, let's not yeah. pay yeah. double to, to right. these storage companies. So, yeah. yeah, so uh, you, also, you guys mentioned earlier that you're targeting um, MSSPs. Um, I think that that's sort of an interesting prospect and I, I've heard from some other companies too, not necessarily in this space, but it's uh, because people don't necessarily have the resources, they're they're looking more to the MSSP model, but then those MSSPs are still on sort of that traditional model where it's, we're just going to throw a bunch of people at it. Right. Um, they may or may yeah. not be skilled. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to get the same services. Um, you're just not going to do it yourself. So I, I think it, that's a really interesting thing to think about, to try and make the MSSPs better right. yep. so that we can get better uh, services from those service providers. And that's partly why we have a class, too, because, like, hunting is still relatively new, especially on endpoint data, and so, um, you know, that's why we want to offer a place to train people, like MSSPs as well, um, you know, the, to learn how to use our tool. And learn how, it's not even for our tool. It's really to learn how to hunt. So, right. Yeah. But. Have you guys, how many people have you put through that class? Has it been pretty popular? Yeah, probably. I've only I don't know. kind of done it maybe once a quarter on average. Maybe um, like 50, 50 people or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it's yeah. classes are pretty small. We don't like to get we don't like to let it go. Try over to 10 cap 12. it at ten. Yeah, 10 yeah. To twelve. Yeah, um, and we kind of almost do a mad hoc at this point. At, you know, as people keep asking for it, we'll we'll put one on the calendar. But we've talked about trying to get a regular cadence um, with the class. So nice. Yeah, definitely a lot of interest though, for sure. So. Um, a little bit more on the, the company itself. Mm -hmm. So you guys are, uh, well, I guess, you know, give me a little bit more about the company. Um, you know, how big are you? Where are you sort of along your life cycle? Um, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We started a year and a half ago. Um, we're 
What, two and a half? Three and a half? How are we, how are we saying it? Three and a half? Two and a half? Three people. We're just we're Three a handful, total. handful of people. Yeah. Um, some of it, you know, part-time, some kind of more partner relationships. Um, but very, yeah. very early still. Right. And, and as Chris mentioned, you know, we kind of started off you know, doing some consulting and, and, and offering a service, more of a, a hunting service. Right. And then kind of almost just made our own decision that, all right, we've done that. And we enjoyed doing it, but now we want to just help people do that. And so that, so we still are going to continue to train and consult on helping people set up a hunting program. But we also, our main focus is going to be on, on just enablement, like building out a platform to help people do that. So right. we're kind of, kind of, I would say over the past few months, shifting our focus to be more of a product company. So right. relatively new in that department. Right. So. And so um, are, are you, have you taken on funding or is this, no. you know, using the consulting piece to, yeah. right. to kind of fund the, the yeah, development efforts? Trying to bootstrap as long as we can. You know, right. I, I think, um, I don't know, bootstrapping sounds fun, you know, but it definitely is a lot of work and um, yeah. it's funding is something we talk about often, um, but we're not quite ready for that yet. And want want to get a little bit more adoption of our platform, get some feedback from people using it and, and kind of see where it takes us. So, Yeah, the, the consulting and training definitely help pay the bills. Um, you know, for the development time mm-hmm. that, that Brian's been doing. Um, but it's also strategic for us, too. Like, we don't ever want to stop being a part operationally, mm-hmm. whether it's services or training, however that ends up looking. Because we don't want to become a, a pure platform company to the point where we actually don't know how to use the platform anymore. So right. We feel like ours, you know? the more we can be involved operationally, even if it's just helping other companies, the more that's going to drive a better product that we can make and that we can empathize with our users better. Mm-hmm. So uh, we kind of don't want to lose that piece. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of make sure you still have that that services arm that can come in and hey well you're gonna use our product we'll come in we'll train you we'll make sure that exactly. you know you can use this the yeah. way that you need to use it that kind of stuff right yeah exactly right yeah, yeah. nice yeah. Um, so do you it sounds like the product side is pretty new do you guys have a, a roadmap areas where you think you're going uh, I'm not asking you to give away yeah, you yeah. Know, all, all the secrets or anything like that but um, you we know, don't we don't even have a page on our website yet about the product so that, that'll probably come <laughs> next week maybe when this so thing airs we when will. this airs there will be so. yeah. uh, yeah. step one yeah. product roadmap yeah. announce <laughs> product we've definitely got we definitely got a long roadmap um, and but right you know because we know we know what to build right because we've done this and we know the pain points yeah and so we've kind of we've gone a pretty long way down that road of knowing what to build, but we want to kind of take some, some steps where we pause and get feedback from people. And, and you know, we, we do have, we have a handful of people using it and I think we kind of want to make sure the feedback we're getting from them matches what we know, you know, cause we're kind of experts at using it, but not everybody's going to be. And so it's, there's going to be different requests that we're going to try to, you know, try to build into it. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah we have visions of doing some more advanced analytics, directly, you know, maybe some batch analytics, maybe machine learning algorithms, more stuff in line, that kind of, that kind of stuff. And, and just kind of being, we would love to be a hub of just process, endpoint process analytics, just knowing, you know, what's normal for a process. Is it normal, does it normally do that or get launched by that, that kind of thing. And we just haven't found there, there's not a central spot you can go to anywhere to get an answer to that. Besides, you know, when you put a process name to Google and you get about 75 right. automated pages that are repeating, just repeating your Google search. Yeah, yeah. Junk, yeah, yeah. we definitely have a good corpus of data to draw from, and that's one of the things that we're also going to, at some point in the future, launch a kind of a, a search engine for process like process behavior data in Windows or other environments as well. So, nice. Because uh, there really is no go-to place for that right now, and that's something we've spent the last five years you know, kind of becoming experts on. Uh, and what's normal for like Windows behavior you know, under underneath the hood, so... Um, and then also like just having data that we can draw from, you know, and, um, 
and anonymize, like we can actually capture some of that. Um, so I search for a process, like this is like 95% of the time, this is its parent, these are its children, these are the DLLs it loads, these are the network connections it makes. And that's really helpful for people when they're hunting to see if what they're seeing in their environment matches what's normal for Windows. So. Yeah, and I can see where that would be uh, cool to build into the product too, right? Yeah. So, yeah. hey, we just saw this behavior, um, it's 73% expected, yeah. right? Exactly. So, exactly. So, so we, maybe, maybe don't pay attention to this one quite as much because right. it's most likely legit, but you still have a chance that it, it might not be. So, you you know, if you've got the time, look at it or something like that. Right, you know? exactly. exactly. Yeah, and we've got about 100 of those things in our head that we're, we want to add into the product yeah. as we go. So we're, we're kind of excited about where it can take us. And we've made a strategic decision to, to keep it in the cloud. We know not everybody wants to send their data to the cloud, but trying to manage a purely cloud-native platform as well as one that's going to be on-prem is just is a big challenge and so we've, we've made that decision to be, uh, right. be cloud-native and we're also um, for any any more technical people out there trying to stay more ser as serverless as possible so um, what that does for our customers is it keeps our costs way down which means we can offer a platform like this for way cheaper right. than you normally would be able to because we don't have to have massive clusters of servers right. we can we can pay for serverless architecture where you pay as you go. Yeah. Right. So we pay as, as our customers send events through the platform, we pay a little bit and then we charge them a little bit. The beautiful yeah. thing is we can, one of the visions of the roadmap is um, you can be maybe be a single license user. You just go to the website, pay whatever, a few bucks a month for your single license and we can scale and be profitable with that one license. And we can also scale to a very large enterprise too. So that's, that's our goal. I mean, we're we're pretty much there now. We just haven't built in like the mechanisms for billing and all that stuff, so it's self-service. Yeah, it, it really takes a lot of forethought to offer a product that can work for one person or for an enterprise, right? right. And so that's kind of what we, the goal we've been moving towards with the serverless. So um, one person can use it, and it actually is worth our time to let them use it, right? Uh, and then also an enterprise can use it, and it'll scale just fine, so. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned you guys have uh, you know some partner companies that are, are testing this out, working through it with you guys. Yeah. Um, is that do you feel like you have a good partner uh, ecosystem built out? Or are you guys looking for more people to participate? How does absolutely that, looking for more looking people? For more. Yeah, yeah. I, we feel like the more the better um, for sure. Um, it just gives us feedback. It gets you know kind of gets the word out and gets um, real people using it in the real world, and that's that's ideal. You know, we we could like I said, we could keep building this for ourselves. We know what we want, but we want to make sure others are. Right. Able to get as much out of it as we do. So, so um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there's not a formal way for people to get back to you other than emailing you if they wanted to get involved in that since the product isn't even right. on the website yet. But yeah. maybe by the time people are yeah. hearing this, that yeah. there will be also. Yeah, yeah, there'll be a little spot down there. But info at vector8.io. Honestly, right. now is really timely because of, of where we're at. We kind of just hit a milestone with the base set of features that we wanted in there. And um, it's a great time for people to, to try it out for free, and yeah. you know, give a, it kind of helps us, kind of helps them, you know, evaluate it and, and see maybe what they're missing with what they currently are using. And um, so, yeah, definitely reach out. Nice. So, um, you know, earlier you, uh, Brian, I think you mentioned that you know both of you guys sort of independently, uh, your families wanted to move to Colorado. Yeah. Um, how has that been so far? Is it you know have you enjoyed the Colorado? Enjoyed. The, not only Colorado itself, but the the security community here. Any yeah, thoughts yeah. on that? And Absolutely love it. Yeah, like everything about it. I, yeah, I don't think here. we've ever made a better decision. I mean, my whole family loves living here. Um, we love the outdoors and coming. Not no offense to Indiana, but we were in Indiana for four years, and it's like <laughs> like everything about it. If you compare it's it, it's not you know, Colorado. Like, it's not yeah. Colorado. Like the weather, like the views. Like, unless you like yeah. cornfields, you know. Right. Uh, so yeah, we love it. And then the fact that there's so many security people out here is awesome. 
Um, that was a nice surprise. You can find security people yeah. anywhere, but like not really like an ecosystem of people that right. are kind of passionate about it. So, um, yeah, when we moved here, we uh, very first weekend we were here, my boys discovered there's a there's a Lego store in the the mall close to us. So right away they were hooked. And the very next day, the Broncos won the Super Bowl. So like, they're just like, Colorado is amazing. Yeah. And I think the next weekend, we went tubing in Fraser. So I think we they've been pretty much excited since we got here. We, we've loved every minute of it. I don't think, we, Brian and I talked a lot. We didn't expect there to be this much of a security community here. Uh, and I think we've been very surprised. Even Actually, an entrepreneur community. Yeah, we knew there, was a, we knew so there was a startup culture here. But until you move here and kind of like start to yeah. see it, you know, startup and, and security... Um, it's been kind of a pleasant surprise. Like we yeah. knew it would be better than Detroit and Indianapolis, where we both came from. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Yeah, and so uh, I met you guys both at the uh, the Red Canary offices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been working with with other security startups in the area? Um, obviously, you know those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know they, you know, sort of on the back end do some similar stuff. Similar stuff, yeah. but so, internally, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've been great. We we kind of. Funny story about how we met them. I don't know if we'll tell it or not. <laughs> we kind of we kind of stalked them. Oh yeah, that's right. We we just kind of wanted to be like, who are these Red Canary guys? So we showed up at the office and and it was one of those offices I think where, like, uh, high there security. Was some, there was some other like secret stuff going on, and so we got reported as like being suspicious. Got it. Eventually met the guys and and, and had a good friendship since. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely been talking with other security companies. Swim Lane, we're doing a webinar with them next week. And, right. So it's just been neat, like, even if there's a lot of overlap, it's just neat talking with people that are doing similar work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. We're getting close to the end of time for the interview. Any other stuff that you guys uh, wanted to talk about? Anything that people need to know about? Um, No, I don't think so. I'll be speaking at the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Um, I'll be talking, I'll be sharing some war stories is the goal. So, I mean, I tend to get very philosophical and strategic when I, when I, get on a soapbox, which is often. But I like to back it up with like real life facts. Like here's this stuff we saw, this is how we saw the adversary move and, and this kind of, so I plan on sharing a lot of war stories during that the conference in I think May. Yep. Sometime in May. Yeah, and our next hunting course is May one through three. It's actually gonna be here, so like very casual, laid back atmosphere. Uh, we're gonna cap it at ten people or so, so yeah. people are interested in that. It's on that's on our website. So. Nice. So uh, vector eight io if people yep. are interested. Yeah. Uh, anything else? No, I'm good. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Thank uh, you. Appreciate your time. Good talking to you. Um, and everybody go check out Vector8. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks. Cool. This is Alex Wood, and we'll talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.